and welcome to the Higher Theories Conspiracy Podcast. I am your host, Jamie. On this episode, part two of 9-11, the collapse of the Twin Towers. On the last episode, we went over Flight 11, the first flight that was hijacked. We went over what happened on that flight, the crew and the terrorists that were involved, and the tragic disaster that unveiled after. Next, we went over Flight 175, the second doomed airplane. We went over the crew, the hijackers, what happened, and its disaster as well. Today, I will go over Flight 77 and United Airlines Flight 93. You can find Higher Theories on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. American Airlines Flight 77 American Airlines Flight 77 was a scheduled American Airlines domestic transcontinental passenger flight from Washington Duells International Airport in Duells, Virginia to Los Angeles International Airport in Los Angeles, California. This flight was also hijacked. Like the others, let's start with the crew and the passengers. So this flight had six crew members. Captain Charles Burlingame, he was 51 years of age. First Officer David Charlboys, he was 39. Purser Renee May and flight attendants Michelle Hiddenberger, Jennifer Lewis, and Kenneth Lewis. The capacity of the aircraft was 188 passengers, but with 58 passengers on September 11th, the load factor was only 33%. Just like the other flights, this flight consisted of five terrorists. They were identified as Hani Hajor, Al Hazmi, Al Midahar, Nawaf Al Hazmi, and Khalid Al Mihidra. I definitely butchered those, but. Well, on the morning of September 11th, 2001, the five hijackers arrived at Washington Dwells International Airport. At 7:15 a.m., Khalid Al Mithar and Majid Mohad had checked in at the American Airlines ticket counter for Flight 77, arriving at the passenger security checkpoint. A few minutes later, at 7.18. Both men set off the metal detector and were put through secondary screening. Mohed continued to set off the alarm, so he was searched with one of those hand wands. The Hazmi brothers checked in together at the ticket counter at 7.29. Hani Hadjwar checked in separately and arrived at the passenger security checkpoint at 7.35. Hanjwar was followed minutes later at the checkpoint by Salim and Noarf al-Hazmi, who also set off the metal detector alarm. 
The screener at the checkpoint never resolved what set off the alarm. Apparently seen in security footage later released, Nawaf Hazmi appeared to have an unidentified item in his back pocket. Utility knives up to 4 inches were permitted at the time by the Federal Aviation Administration as carry-on items. The hijackers were all selected for extra screening of their checked bags. Hanjwar, Al-Midhar, and Mokwad were chosen by the computer-assisted passenger pre-screening system. While the brothers Nawaf and Salim as his Hazmi were selected because they did not provide adequate identification and were deemed suspicious by the airline check-in agent. Hanwar Midhar and Nawaf al-Hazmi did not check any bags for the flight. Checked bags belonging to Mohwed and Salim al-Hazmi were held until they boarded the aircraft. Flight 77 was scheduled to depart for Los Angeles at 8.10, with 58 passengers aboard through gate D26, including the five hijackers. The 53 other passengers on board, excluding the hijackers, were 26 men, 22 women, and 5 children, ranging in the ages from 3 to 11. Flight 77 left the gate on time and took off from runway 30 at 8.20. Shortly after the flight took off, the FAA flight controller, Danielle O'Brien, made a routine handoff of Flight 77 to a colleague at the FAA's Indianapolis Center. For reasons she couldn't explain and would never fully understand, O'Brien didn't use one of her normal send-offs to the pilots, as in, good day, or have a nice flight. Instead, she told them, good luck. The 9-11 Commission estimated that the flight was hijacked between 8.51 and 8.54, which was only shortly after American Airlines Flight 11 had struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center, and not too long after United Airlines Flight 175 had been hijacked. The last normal radio communications from this aircraft to air traffic control occurred at 8.50. Unlike the other three flights, there were no reports of anyone being stabbed or a bomb threat, and the pilots were possibly not immediately killed, but were escorted to the back of the plane with the rest of the passengers. At 8.54, as the plane flew in the vicinity over Pike County, Ohio, it began to deviate from its normal assigned flight path and turned south. Two minutes later, at 8.56, one of the terrorists switched the airplane's transponder off. The hijacker set the flight's autopilot on a course heading east towards Washington, D.C. The FAA was aware at this point that there was an emergency on board the airplane. By this time, Flight 11 had already crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center, and Flight 175 was known to have been hijacked and was within minutes of striking the South Tower. After learning of this second hijacking involving an American Airlines aircraft and the hijacking involving United Airlines, 
American Airlines Executive Vice President Gerard R.P. ordered a nationwide stop for the airline. The Indianapolis Air Traffic Control Center, as well as American Airlines dispatchers, made several failed attempts to contact the aircraft. At the time the airplane was hijacked, it was flying over an area of limited radar coverage, with air controllers unable to contact the flight by radio. An Indianapolis official declared that it had possibly crashed at 9.09. Two people on board the aircraft made phone calls to contacts on the ground. At 9.12, flight attendant Renee May was able to call her mother, Nancy May, in Las Vegas. During the call, which only lasted two minutes, May explained her flight was being hijacked by six people who had forced us to the rear of the airplane. She didn't explain whether the people crowded together were crew members, passengers, or both. May asked her mother to contact American Airlines, which she and her husband promptly did. However, American Airlines was already aware of the hijacking. Between 9.16 and 9.26, passengers Barbara Olson called her husband, United States Solicitor General Theodore Olson, and reported that the airplane had been hijacked and the assailants had box cutters and knives. She reported that everyone, including the pilots, had been moved to the back of the cabin, and that the hijackers were unaware of her call. A minute into the conversation, the call was cut off. Theodore Olson contacted the command center at the Department of Justice, and unsuccessfully tried to contact Attorney General John Ashcroft. The hijackers disengaged the autopilot and took over control at 9.29. According to the 9-11 Commission report, as Flight 77 was five miles west-southwest of the Pentagon, it made a 330-degree spiral turn clockwise. At the end of the turn, it was descending through 2,200 feet, pointed towards the Pentagon and downtown Washington. Hani Hanjar advanced the throttles to maximum power and dove towards the Pentagon. While level above the ground and seconds from impact, the wings clipped five street lampposts and the right wing struck a portable generator, creating a smoke trail seconds before smashing into the Pentagon. Flight 77 flying at 530 miles per hour, or 853 kilometers an hour, for us Canadian listeners, impacted the western side of the Pentagon in Arlington County, Virginia, just south of Washington, D.C., at 9.37. The plane hit the Pentagon at the first floor level, and at the moment of impact, the airplane was rolled slightly to the left with the right wing elevated. The front part of the fuselage disintegrated on impact, while the mid and tail section moved for another fraction of a second, with tail section debris penetrating furthest into the building. 
In all, the airplane took eight tenths of a second to fully penetrate 310 feet into the three outermost of the building's five rings and unleashed a fireball that rose 200 feet above the building. At the time of the attacks, approximately 18,000 people worked in the Pentagon, but there were only 189 deaths at the Pentagon site, including 125 in the Pentagon building, in addition to the 64 on board the aircraft. Flight 93 Perished Heroes Flight 93 was a domestic scheduled passenger flight that was hijacked by four Al-Qaeda terrorists on board as part of the September 11 attacks. It crashed into a field in Summerat County, Pennsylvania, during an attempt by the passengers and crew to regain control of the plane. All 44 people on board were killed including the four hijackers. The aircraft involved, a Boeing 757, was flying United Airlines' daily scheduled morning flight from Newark International Airport in New Jersey to San Francisco International Airport in California. The crew, once again, will be remembered for their bravery. It consisted of seven members. They were Captain Jason DeHal, age 43, First Officer Leroy Homer Jr., age 36, and Flight Attendants Lorraine Bay, Sandra Bradshaw, Wanda Green, Cece Lyles, and Deborah Welsh. The hijackers were Zahid Jara, Amid Al Nimi, Amid Al Hazmi and Sahid al-Kamdi. The aircraft involved in the hijacking was a Boeing 757 delivered to the United Airlines in June 1996. The airplane had a capacity of 182 passengers. The September 11 flight carried 33 passengers, the four terrorists and seven crew members a load factor of 20%. At 5.01 on the morning of September 11th, Jara placed a cell phone call from Newark to Manwar al-Sahini, the hijacker pilot of United Airlines Flight 175 in Boston, which authorities believed was to confirm that the plan for the attacks was proceeding. The four hijackers checked in for the flight between 7.03 and 7.39 Eastern Time. At 7.03, Gamdi checked in without any luggage, while Nami checked in with two bags. At 7.24, Hasnui checked in one bag, and at 7.39, Jara checked in without any luggage. Hasnui was the only hijacker selected for extra scrutiny by the computer-assisted passenger 
pre-screening system. His checked bag underwent extra scrutiny for explosives, with no extra scrutiny required by a CAPPS at the passenger scrutiny checkpoint. None of the security checkpoint personnel reported anything unusual about the men. Hasnui and Gamdi boarded the aircraft at 7.39 and sat in first-class seats 6B and 3D. Nami boarded one minute later and sat in first-class seats 3C. Before boarding the plane, Jara made five telephone calls to Lebanon, one to France, and one to his girlfriend in Germany, to whom he'd sent a farewell letter the day before to tell her he loved her. He boarded at 7.48 and sat in seat 1B. The aircraft was scheduled to depart at 8 o'clock and pushed back from the gate A-17 at 8.01, but it remained delayed on the ground until 8.42 because of heavy airport congestion. This must have frightened the hijackers sitting there, just waiting. The three other hijacked flights all departed within 15 minutes of their scheduled times. By the time Flight 93 became airborne, Flight 11 was four minutes away from hitting the North Tower, and Flight 175 was being hijacked. Flight 77 was climbing normally and was nine minutes away from being hijacked. By 9.02, one minute before Flight 175 hit the South Tower, Flight 93 reached its cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. The hijacking began at 9.28. By this time, Flights 11 and 175 had already crashed into the World Trade Center, and Flight 77 was within nine minutes of striking the Pentagon. The hijackers on those flights had waited no more than 30 minutes to commandeer the aircraft, most likely striking after the seatbelt sign had been turned off and cabin service had begun. It is unknown why the hijackers on Flight 93 waited 46 minutes to begin their assault. The evidence is that they attacked the pilots by at least 9.28 because of the flight deviated dramatically at that point, 680 feet in 30 seconds, most likely due to one of the hijackers striking the pilot and then losing control of the airplane. A few of the passengers on this flight were also able to get a few calls out. A few of them had mentioned to their loved ones that the passengers had planned to revolt. They had decided that if they were going to die anyway, they might as well try to stop the hijacking. The passenger revolt on Flight 93 began at 9.57, after the passengers voted on whether to act. By this time, Flight 77 had struck the Pentagon, and Flights 11 and 175 had struck the World Trade Center. As the revolt began, and the hijackers started maneuvering the plane violently. The plane left its Washington, D.C. course. The hijackers in the cockpit became aware of the revolt at 9.57.
Jahar began to roll the airplane left and right to knock the passengers off balance. He told another hijacker in the cockpit at 9.58, They want to get in here. Hold. Hold from the inside. Hold from the inside. Jara changed tactics at 9.59 and pitched the nose of the airplane up and down to disrupt the assault. The cockpit voice recorder captured the sounds of crashing, screaming, and the shattering of glass and plates. Three times in a period of five seconds, there were shouts of pain or distress from a hijacker outside the cockpit suggesting a hijacker who was standing guard outside the cockpit was being attacked by the passengers. Jara stabilized the plane at 10 o'clock. Five seconds later, he asked, Is that it? Shall we finish it off? Another hijacker responded, No, not yet. When they all come, we finish it off. Jara, once again, pitched the airplane up and down. A passenger in the background cried, In the cockpit, if we don't, we'll die. At 10 o'clock, 16 seconds later, another passenger yelled, Roll it, possibly referring to using the food cart. The voice recorder captured the sound of the passengers using the food cart as a battering ram against the cockpit. At 10.03, near Indian Lake and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The plane crashed into a field near a reclaimed coal strip mine known as the Diamond Tea Mine, owned by PBS Coals in Stony Creek Township in Summerit County. The National Transportation Safety Board reported that the flight impacted at 563 miles per hour or 906 kilometers per hour at a 40 degree angle nose down inverted the impact left a crater 8 to 10 feet deep and 30 to 50 feet wide the coroner ruled that everyone on board who was still alive at the time of the crash died instantly of blood force trauma So those were the second and third airplane involved in the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center. That's part one and part two. Next week, I will dive into the conspiracies around the event. What could have led to all this happening? Was the Bush government the culprit? Was it just another terrorist attack on the United States? I'll go over all that and more next week on part three of 9-11, the collapse of the Twin Towers. You can find us on Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. To help out, a quick five-star or review helps out greatly. Thank you. See you next week.